Welcome to the Pirate Month Podcast on this lovely January morning. Welcome. I am your host. <laughs> what just happened? Somebody yelled. <laughs> Did you give a yo-ho? Yes. This is this this is the hard part uh, with phone speakers in my ear. That one just got totally compressed because of its zeal. But that is Newton Dominey in the house. Hello, friends. Just not this house. <laughs> we got Newton over there. We got Mark over there today at Christ Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, I'm Aaron Porter over here in my garage. Hey, thank you guys for setting up today's podcast uh, early enough that I could enjoy the sunrise. That was really nice of you guys. <laughs> that's our, that's our gift to you. It, it was beautiful because out over our porch, I see the rolling... I see the jutting, I see the occasional thrusting mountain, and uh, it was just a gorgeous sunrise today. So I just I just wanted to give props for that. How's it going? It's been a while. What's going on in your guys' lives? It's going pretty all right. Uh, things are hectic. Uh, hold on a second. Mark, can you, can you help interpret the phrase pretty <laughs> all right for me? <laughs> I, I would what never venture mean, to dude? interpret a friend's words. I will let him uh, <laughs> communicate that on his own. Life is hectic, and life is hard, and life is good. How's that? That's awesome. Nice. What, what's going on in the Whitlock world? Well, uh, it is uh, a new year, and if you've been paying attention to the podcast, you know that uh, I've had a physical transformation, and I've had uh, a familial transformation, and... The familial and the uh, physical have uh, come together uh, in uh, me you running. You ate your family? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are. Sorry, I'm having interpretive troubles over here. Clearly, <laughs> California, man. That's okay. It's early out there. We are joining together with another family and participating in uh, one of the events with the rock and roll uh, country music, or I guess it's now called the Nashville Marathon. We're, uh, I'm running the half marathon in April. And so right now it's like all hands on deck because um, my wife and my 10-year-old, our stepson, are running the 5K, and I'm pushing my 15-year-old or now 16-year-old uh, stepdaughter in an adult stroller. She's had five open-heart surgeries and isn't able to participate. She's always wanted to do something like this. And so I'm going to be pushing an adult stroller through the half marathon. And we're joining with another family out of Florida to, uh, uh, to try to use all of this energy and distance running, uh, to raise money for my 10 year old school. And so I, I posted a video, you can take a look at it. Uh, and I'll have a link to it on piratemonkpodcast.com just so you know what's going on. Uh, but so that's kind of where a lot of our attention is right now. We spent two hours last night stuffing envelopes and, and, uh, I'm trying to get all my runs in and running with an, an adult jogging stroller for anybody out there who runs. Uh, I was so encouraged with, with all my weight loss and how my running was going and how much speed I'd picked up. And I was, I was, you know, I've been dreaming for years about qualifying for the Boston marathon on time, but I've got a long way to go, probably five years. Um, and, uh, then I started pushing the stroller. And watched my times plummet and watched my back ache more than it ever has. And, and uh, it's a whole different experience. So, uh, But a whole lot of time and attention are going into to that right now. And uh, that's where we are. I just, I love that you are that dad. Because you see, 
like on clips the dad that is is doing it with his child yeah in that way yeah and i love that that we we have one of those dads right here that's so cool thanks you're that guy it's a beautiful thing thanks so that's in april uh yeah I, last I'm weekend i'm excited april. to hear how that goes last weekend in april there in Nashville, like running around Nashville or yeah. in the country? Because that's pretty hilly running around yeah. Nashville. It's, it's a hilly course. It, Mark's, Mark's not being fair to himself. I've, <laughs> run, I've run that course twice, and I've signed up and I'm not going to do it this year. It is a shitty course. <laughs> it, is, it is a shitty course with shitty weather. I have, it's, it sucks. It's like, either I, rainy or it's hot. I, it's I, never I, nice. I love running and the times that I have done that half marathon, every time I finish, I say, I am never running this effing course ever again. <laughs> Give me my stupid Miller genuine, whatever that piss poor 64 calorie beer they give you. <laughs> Drinking that bitterly. Like, I hate that course. Like, I, I, I hate it. Um, I would rather. Well, I just, yeah. you know, two things to say to that. Number one, uh, we now know that Newton has the gift of encouragement. And number two, we've lost our Nashville Chamber of Commerce promotion spot. Uh, so fantastic. Thank you. I love Nashville, but gosh, like that, if they would just make it any other weekend, like it's, it's hot. This, so I, this is a tangent, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to own it. This year when I ran the race, did you run it this year, Mark? I was there. I was volunteering. Okay. So, Sometimes when you run outside, it rains. And sometimes when you run outside, it thunders. The organizers of the marathon decided that it was raining and thundering, and so they delayed the start of the race uh-huh. by an hour. Now, we couldn't go anywhere. We just right. stood outside in the in rain and the thunder. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm a little bitter, um, you know. That but, threw everybody for a loop. It was awful. Yeah. You're, you, all the work up to get ready. And then on the, on the plus side, the positive of that race is around mile 12, there was a lady, um, near the sound stadium handing out orange slices. And, um, I think I proposed to her. It was the best orange slice I've ever had. (laughs) It was so hot and muggy and gross. And she had orange slices. And I think I said, I love you. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and how yeah. did Brooke feel about that? <laughs> oh, she was fine with it. She, you know, she doesn't want to see me after I run a race, so she was. She would have given me away. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, I am totally inspired to not run long distance <laughs> races, and that's great. That's the best part of the morning. I'm off the hook. Right, sun sunrises and not one running. One more New Year's resolution gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of endurance races, uh, we have the longest endurance race any of us will ever run uh, as our topic for today. We're going to be Ooh, talking that's about a segue right there. understanding <laughs> yourself. And we have that a special guest coming in the studio. And uh, Aaron, do you want to give our, our listeners a, a preview of who's coming on board? Oh, I, I'm going to do it, Marjorie Mark, the smoothest <laughs> transistor ever. Uh, uh, we, we've got Ian, Ian Cron with us. Uh, he... Boy, I think we we first I'm trying to remember we might have interviewed him twice. He wrote a book called Chasing Francis, which was really good. And they came out oh, with yeah. Jesus, my father, the CIA. It's a great book. And I, I think he was on the show for both of those. And he is just a delightful dude. He 
just has an a, a fun energy about him. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, and it's been interesting. Just in the last six months, I would say, I'm seeing a real shift towards acceptance of the Enneagram. Uh, if you look at any chart for this personality typing system, people always say it looks like a pentagram. Well, that's because a gram means a picture, and then whatever is before it is how many points. So a pentagram is a five-pointed graph. An enneagram is a nine-pointed graph, so you basically have a star shape with points on it. It doesn't make it satanic, but the church was a little afraid that it was. So we've we've had a shift in the church, and Christianity Today actually did an article just a, a few months ago. I don't remember, maybe three months ago. Uh, and so we're going to dig into that a little today. If you've never heard of the Enneagram, then you uh, are in for a treat. And so let's let's just jump into it. Well, let's take a quick break and come back and bring Ian Cron into the studio on today's episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. I am counting stars on your blackened sky. You call them all. You know them all by sight In this sea of light I'll sense your majesty And I'll break at the thought That one so great could give Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast this morning. In the non-studio, in the Christ Community Church, we have Mr. Ian Cron. The last time he was on the show, we were talking about his book, Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me. But today we get to talk about his new book, which has been out for, how long has it been, Ian? It's been out for a couple months now? Uh, yeah, three months, uh, four three, months? Three months. It's called The Road Back to You. An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. So welcome, Mr. Ian Cron. Good to have you with us. Yeah, man. Glad to be back. So I, I kind of want to start because before the show, we're talking about community and vulnerability in community, and you brought up your past, your New York past. And so I want you to just kind of lay out the thumbnail sketch of why community and New York boys don't go together easily. Oh, I mean, I was I was being a little facetious, you know. I was kind of working it, but I know, but I, I there was some truth in it. So, where's the kernel of truth in that for your experience on how you grew up? Well, actually, I grew up about thirty miles from New York City in Greenwich, Connecticut, where most people commute to the city every day. But you know, go back out to the the leafy wooded suburbs <laughs> at the end of it. Um, and well, first of all, you know, New Englanders are stoic. They're not particularly, uh, um, I wouldn't say that they're the warmest people in the world. And then if you add on to it that 
you know, we sort of live in a, we lived in a town where there were a lot of Shark Tank hedge fund managers. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's just not the most uh, community-minded place in the world, you know. So, uh, in fact, I had, a, I had a neighbor once in Greenwich that lived directly next door to us. This is, I'm not exaggerating. For seven years, and there was a set of hedges between our driveway and their driveway, we saw them come out and get in their car and go out every day. I never once met them, or, or nor did they ever introduce themselves huh. to us when we moved in. You know, so that's, that's, <laughs> how's that for community? Um, and, you know, New Yorkers tend to be cynical and really guarded. Um, so, I mean, there are pockets of community there for sure, but not like in Nashville. I mean, I remember moving to Nashville, people were like, oh, you know, in their typical condescending Northeastern way, they were like, Oh, you know, in the South, people are really nice, but they, they're not sincere. You know, you know what I mean? I'm like, that was the last thing I experienced here. Like, I, we huh. found, I found more friends here in a month than I found in 40 years. In <laughs> so you it. found it to be true, Southern hospitality or Southern Absolutely. gentleness and not this false air of... Oh, yeah. Okay. Totally. I was like, this is awesome. These are like my people. This yeah. is great. I had a friend who lived in South Philly. Right. who lived here for seven years before I moved here. Now, I was born and raised in the South, so I kind of had the Southern vibe in my head. But I said, so what makes Nashville, Franklin, all that, what makes it different? And then I can't do his thick South Philly accent. He said, man, they all got together and decided to be nice to each other. Yeah. And I just kind of laughed going, yeah, it's the South, and he doesn't understand it. I got here, and I went, wait a minute. This is so much different than rural Alabama. This is so much different than metro Atlanta. This is so much different than other right. places I've lived. I went, wow, okay. So I'm yeah. glad you experienced the same thing. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into numbers in a moment, but uh, I'm going to give a little, uh, a little teaser. You are a four. So picturing you growing up in any kind of a world that it, it lacks that vulnerability and introspection, was that hard for you? Because that's something, that's a deep desire in your heart to be known and to have tools to be known by others and have a vocabulary that you can believe they understand you and that you understand yourself. So what was that like for you in that environment personally at a heart level? Yeah, it was really not great. And I didn't realize how not great it was until I moved to, to Nashville, hmm. where there were a lot of creatives. I mean, I was surrounded by investment bankers and who, you know, they, I mean, God bless them. I, I loved many of them, but they were, they played a lot of golf. You know, <laughs> and they they talked about vacations at St. Bart's, to, which to me was a sit was a big church in Manhattan, not an island. Uh, and I, I, you know, I always, I mean, talk about uh, really amplifying the fours already pronounced feeling that they don't fit or belong uh, in the world. Now, add on to that that I grew up in a family. And Lord, I hope they're not listening, but uh, they won't be um, because they're absolutely disinterested in my life. Um, but the, 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 I mean, where the EQ level was so low as to be almost unquantifiable. You know what I mean? Like there was not a lot of emotional quotient huh. in my family. I had two rough and tumble Irish brothers. My mom is an eight, if you can believe it. Uh, and so, you know, here I was... The only way I tell people all the time, like my brothers went to Catholic school along with uh, with me, but I should have been at Hogwarts. I really felt like I was a 
a wizard living among the muggles, you know? Got it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not, that's not necessarily, that seems like something that would be common to fours. Oh yeah. That, that uniqueness, that totally. Um, yeah. Like I, I should be at the magic school and you guys are, yeah. Well, and it's not narcissism. No, no, no. I no. mean, it can be if it goes off yeah. the right. charts, uh, but it, it actually is, uh, like, like my brothers played football right. and I stayed home and read PG Woodhouse. Huh. I mean, I was right. like, I, I, and so I had nothing in common with anything. Yeah. Which is a typical feature. So let, of me, let me, let me, let me pause here real quick for our listeners who are now being left out of a, a chunk of the conversation here. Right. Uh, we're talking about the Enneagram and we're going to let Ian describe this a little bit more. There are nine personality types in here this is not like myers-briggs this is not uh stating the obvious such as that's an introvert uh (laughs) it is talking about the internal drive why we do what we do uh and so if we group that into three groups um ian is in the emotional group and there are three types in there one that likes to serve people and gets identity from their service and being good one that likes to achieve things and have everybody look at their achievements that would be a three and they feel good about themselves fours are the skinny pants emo children in the family of god (laughs) they're they're that's a that's that's sort of accurate right ian aaron aaron you can't see ian right now but that's exactly what he's wearing yeah yeah Yeah, that was really really Uh, helpful thank you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so fours uh i'm gonna go home by the way I, because... I'm, I'm gonna go home right now and and read baudelaire and smoke clove cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> they feel unique because they are unique and actually they feel it in ways that uh they're an example to all the body of christ uh that that we are actually that special in the eyes and the heart of our heavenly father um but very creative people and uh, feel very unique and also want to be understood. But sometimes if you understand them too easily, they just don't feel special. So be careful with your four friends. You need to be gentle in the process of unveiling. Then you've got a bunch of head people. Uh, five people are data folks. They just want more information. This is the most uh, cursory explanation of the Enneagram ever. Six people are the quintessential mothers in the body of Christ. Uh, don't get too close to the edge of the road. Don't climb too high. They overthink everything and see danger everywhere, which is helpful until they start nagging. And then we've got sevens who are adventurous people that just want to explore the world and have fun and avoid pain at all costs. Then you've got these gut type people like Ian's mother, who's an eight who just has to be in charge and control everything and everybody, which is sometimes helpful, but not always to fours. You've got nines who want to keep the peace. They're like the fathers in the body of Christ who wants everybody to hear everybody else at the dinner table and just stop arguing, please. And then we get back around to the ones who are black and white thinkers. There is a right and wrong way to everything. Okay, that being said, Newton, go back to... year four talk now everybody knows everything about the numbers and we can continue this yeah i've i've forgotten what i was talking about with fourness but (laughs) and i think everybody's actually confused and wondering if this is a podcast on biblical numerology but we'll get to that (laughs) all right so ian we'll we'll jump into the we were talking about hogwarts and that is the perfect that's the perfect statement uh for a four that that's actually a beautiful picture of how just about every four I know feels that so deeply. 
So you grew up with that feeling you were saying in a, in a house where everyone was playing football and you're wanting to read a book. At what point did you start to break through? Was it the Enneagram that, that started making you feel like you understood yourself or was there something else that started leading you down that path? Well, like most fours, um, from a really early age, I was preoccupied with really the larger questions of life, you know, having, you know, existential at times, you know, you all know my, probably know my friend Don Chapper, a great songwriter here in town, and he's a four too, and Don's always like, tells me I can teach anguish as a second language. <laughs> um, I, I uh, you know, I was preoccupied with things like, who am I, and what, what is life for, and what's the meaning of existence, you know, and, and then trying to capture those ideas in, in creative ways and to, to express oversized feelings. I, you know, I just felt the world really, really deeply. Uh, and experienced it uh, at the level of the heart immediately, you know, long before my 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 head or my body got involved. I, it, my my feelings is where I, I just I just take everything in, and uh, you know, frankly, the things that helped me break through into into self knowledge were therapy. Um, you know, now thirty years of sobriety. So, but you know, at, at twenty seven, I. You know, I had to wrestle through the ways that I managed oversized feelings and uh, the perception that I was the perpetual outsider, feeling alienated from from the world. And so, and my vocation now as a writer and, you know, as a priest, a spiritual director, all those things have all been in service to really being in conversation with the mystery of my own life and helping others or inviting others to join me on that journey. You know, I'm not a teacher per se, but more of a person who says, Hey, there are some big questions of life beyond golf and making a living and all that stuff. And we we need to pay attention to them really carefully because if we don't, you know, we'll forever be swimming in the shallow end of the pool, you know? You know, one of the things that that has been really helpful in my relationships as it relates to the Enneagram compared to other, and I'm using kind of loose quotes here, like personality models and or, or whatever you want to call them, is that I noticed that the Enneagram helps me love my friends and loves the people, love the people in my life more effectively. Like my, my four friends feel things in their body and I, I don't, I'm a two. Yeah, it might be, yeah, and Ian's pointing to his chest. Like, I know that if I'm trying to, like, help a four-friend process something, I need to ask him, where do you feel that? Mm-hmm. Like, it, where, where in your body? And my friends that are fours, is, I'm a two, like, he, they know, okay, Newton doesn't feel that in his body. I've got to help him feel that. And then, you know, knowing, like, uh, Aaron's an eight, knowing that he doesn't hate me, <laughs> that's just how he talks. Um, it helps my relationships in that Shut way. Shut up, too. Newton. <laughs> Um, I mean, does that, I love you. (laughs) I mean, does that sound, does that ring true for, for you? Um, that one of the the differences, differentiators about the Enneagram as a personality typing thing is that it takes us down to takes, yeah, can take you down to that understanding somebody's motivations level. Right. And it's not just, oh yeah, you're an introvert or you're an extrovert or whatever. 
Well, I think one of the things you're you're highlighting well is this what differentiates you know the Enneagram from the Myers Briggs, the Colby, the Strong Campbell, the MMPI, Strength Finders, DISC, I mean this long list of personality typologies, is that it it takes into account that the human personality isn't static. Yeah. You know, it's dynamic, right? Right. So if we were sitting in a war zone right now, your personality would be a lot different yeah. than it is right now, right? You're, right. So it 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 uh, it makes space and explains how our personality reacts in in different in different yeah. circumstances. Now, that said, um George Box, great statistician, one of my favorite quotes, says, all models are wrong, but some are useful. <laughs> right? I love that yeah. quote. Because it's like, quote. you know, great it's like quote. anyone who's taking college economics knows exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So the, I always tell people who become really foamy-mouthed enthusiasts about the Enneagram, like they're like, I call them the Enneagram Taliban. It's like, <laughs> oh man, please, you have, you have gone overboard with this thing. I just say, look, it's a, it's one tool among many that will yeah. help you develop compassion and understanding yeah. for the people you most love, for yourself, which by golly, we all need more compassion. Amen. And, and what, I, what I term unconditional self-friendship, hmm. um, to just to become better people in the world. But it's not perfect. It's right. not the oracle. It's not the gospel. Right. It's just a useful tool, and it's one among many. Yeah. useful tools that frankly there are some that are quite you know people get by without knowing the enneagram their whole lives and sure. be just fine but boy is it useful yeah so what do you say uh, i was just talking to a, a a therapist friend of mine last night and oh come on that's uh, your therapist uh, man don't be tell <laughs> don't be talking to us about me. i was talking to an aunt, my my therapist friend last night you know, while and lying here, on a, while lying try, on a couch I'm going to try to quote him as close as possible while ignoring all of your snarky uh, <laughs> remarks. I'll get you. Uh, he said, okay, this, these books, uh, especially Christian Enneagram books, are fine psychological tools, but I don't see how they're Christian books. There's usually not much Christ in them, just pop psychology. So I'm sure even as we're talking, there are some folks out there, they're like, what What in the world is all this talk? Jesus is the answer. Just get in your Bibles, just know Jesus and obey him more, and this will be fine. So uh, there's actually two questions in there. One, where does Christ fit into all of this Enneagram talk, and uh, why isn't Jesus enough? Why do you need the Enneagram? The Enneagram is not explicitly christian in fact it doesn't even have there's no theology attached to it. you can you can be an atheist and work with the enneagram and get as much out of it as a christian sure. could right um so it's not it doesn't make that promise i would say that when it's tethered to the gospel i feel like it it becomes a more robust and uh helpful tool for purposes of spiritual formation but uh, to be clear, it it doesn't need to promise that it's got a you know a Christian orientation to be to be helpful. Uh, second of all, let's face it. Sure, Jesus is the answer. That's just fine. I get it, and I under and I appreciate the sentiment of it. But can I also say that a lot of times I meet religious people for whom their spirituality and their theology is a defense 
hmm. actually, against their having to deal with who they really are and who others really are. And they spiritualize the world to uh, an extent that they can actually just turn a blind eye to their the reality of, of, of who they are, both in their beauty and in their brokenness, in their blessings and in their blights. So, you know, when I hear Jesus is the answer, I always think to myself, well, that's a really facile answer, isn't it? And it's a convenient answer uh, because it, it really doesn't force anybody to address or confront uh, the mystery, the beauty, and the complicated nature of who they are. So I, I get, you know, so I'm a psychotherapist. I know other psychotherapists, you know, uh, and I just would look at something like that or someone saying something like that and really challenge it. I would say that we're, it, it, there's nothing about the Enneagram when it's taught correctly. And trust me, you can find a lot of kooks out there if you go on Google and put in Enneagram. By the way, go put the <laughs> you'll, go, and right. you'll, you'll show up at fifteen Wiccan sites, won't you? <laughs> well, it's not it's not quite that bad. You might, but you you know I dare you to put the word Jesus into Google and see who comes up. Yeah, you know, you find a lot of nut jobs talking about Jesus too. I want to I want to pause for just a second. You guys, everybody that's listening, if you're on your phone or whatever, however you listen to this, hit the backup button about four times. Backup sixty seconds and listen to what Ian just said again, and then pause it and hang out on that for a second because what you said is. I can't repeat it because it was a very long, thoughtful answer. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a, no, no, I'm no. A you're, no, you're good. But like, back up. Listen to that again. Process that for. Process that for a minute, because that's, that's liberating. That's 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 a big deal. What you just said. What did um, I just say? Well, about about using about using religion as a it's it's a defense mechanism. It's oh yeah. It's, um, yeah. Hang out. I mean, not not you necessarily right now, but like y'all hang out on that for a second, and, and let that. Let that sit on your shoulders and think, think that through. I think that's... Oh, yeah. Religion is the yeah. most deceiving and powerful drug available on the street. Yeah. Uh, so, and we have 12-step meetings every Sunday. Introspection has been, is naturally such a great desire for you. And so try to help the rest of us understand how, hey, pausing to look inside and understand how God has formed me how does that actually stimulate my relationship with God in a dynamic way? Because I think it does, and I think you you probably experience that vividly. Yeah. So introspection is a funny word. It's a good word, but let me let me maybe refine it a little bit. Uh, first of all, to disabuse uh, the cynics that might be listening, uh, introspection, or the, the the word I might use is self reflection. <laughs> Uh, is not navel-gazing. It's not narcissistic, self-referential, self-interested, you know, ponderings uh, at all. I mean, self-reflection is wisdom, you know. You, you know, it's perennial wisdom. Know thyself, you know. And I could go through the Psalms and other places in, in the Scripture where God encourages us to, to really be thoughtful about uh, what our hearts are like and what and how we are in the world. You know, Calvin opens the Institutes, and I'm not a Reformed guy, although I'm in a Presbyterian church right now, so I probably need to be say that quietly, but I'm not a Reformed guy at all, okay? But, you know, Calvin himself said, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. 
Now that ought to make people pause. Yeah. You know, like if you don't have knowledge of self, I'll be a good Presbyterian right now. You will not have a clear understanding of the degree to which you need grace in your life to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's step one. Yeah, exactly. Step (laughs) one, right? Yeah. So if you don't have a knowledge of where your dark side is, where your shadow side is, basically I think you're just going through life banging guardrail to guardrail, you know, hurting other people with repetitive self-defeating patterns of behavior and and yourself you know so it's just wisdom to know who you are it's not being self-obsessed you know or any of that stuff if it's done if it's done correctly and and it is i mean come on man like you owe it to yourself and to everybody you love to know yourself one of the things that i appreciate about appreciate about the enneagram is that it lets me see what I refer to as the shadow side or, you know, it lets me see that motivation that maybe I don't want to look at, you know, how does, how does my personality serve me? You know, what do I get out of being the helper? Um, and it lets me know those guardrails and keeps me from bouncing back and forth and can be instructive in that way because just being a helper in and of itself is great, but being a helper and why I'm a helper so that I can be loved you know, when I look at that motivation. Right. There's a great quote, and I, and I want, it's, it's Victor Frankl, and, and I'm going to cannibalize this, so forgive me, but essentially he says that between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. Hmm. Now, if you think about it, this is a wonderful idea. Most of us live in a perpetual state of uh, so, uh, me- almost mechanistic reactivity. We're just running on autopilot with our tapes, these arcane tapes running yeah. and determining our behaviors without our even being aware of it, right. right? But once you know your type, okay, which is not explaining everything there is to know about you, it's kind of giving you a watercolor, not a photo of who you yeah. are, but just kind of giving you a, an abstract kind of picture, you can enlarge the space between a the stimulus that you face all day long, different conversations, encounters, and your reaction. Hmm. You have new freedom. So now hmm. as a two, if you know, you know, right now, you, you can wake up, and I could give you spiritual disciplines that would help you actually expand this capacity, but you can in the moment have a larger space between those two where you can stop and yeah. you can say, you know what, right now, I know that I am offering help to this person and with a string attached that... Right. They're going to take care of me down the road when I need it without <clears throat> me having to ask them directly. Right. So, oh, I can make hurt. it. Yeah, I know. The having to ask them, that part hurt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, so you're also the most sensitive number on yeah. the Enneagram to criticism. But the in that if the space is larger, you can have more freedom yeah. to stop and go, red flag, I, need, I now am free to make a different choice. Yeah. yeah. How do you approach taking the inventory how would you help somebody who really wants to understand himself or herself and then wants to not only take that not just to self-identify but then wants to better understand the people in their lives that they love or the people in their lives that rub them the wrong way how would you encourage them to sit down and actually take the inventory because with the enneagram i've gotten three different numbers in the four times i've taken it sure and so i 
I really don't know who I, I read the I read the descriptions and I go that could relate to me or that could relate to me. Right. And my problem when I take it is sometimes I'm, I I sit down and I take it and I, I'm thinking about what other people say about me. And sometimes I sit down and I'm thinking about who I think I really am. Right. And other times I'm sitting down and every question triggers a story. Hmm. And I go, well, how do I answer that? Because you know this person said that 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 I was controlling and. Everything and this other person says I'm one of the most generous people that they've ever well, met. You have so. no idea how much people talk about you and, and tell stories because before you got here, I heard some stuff that was just, a, <laughs> I mean, it was alarming. Well, that's what I get for going to get coffee. Yeah, that was alarming <laughs> to me. I don't know. I, that's crazy. Well, I can answer your question like really simply. Um, don't rely on assessments. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you why. Even though I think they're useful uh, entry points into the conversation about who you are, they are never determinative or definitive. And here's what, and here's the big reason why. Every when it comes to psychometric, the the truth is is that, and I, this isn't just the Enneagram. This is Myers Briggs, all the ones we've just mentioned, all the way to the you know the Minnesota Multiphasic, which is probably the most uh, either that or the big or the five, the big five factor, which is you know now heralded as the best. Uh, but the Minnesota Multiphasic's got a, a sample size of tens of millions of people so it's you know but even that i think has only about a 0.73 accuracy rate and that's considered perfect in the world of psychology whoa okay now so these are called self-report assessments the problem with self-report assessments is they cannot uh or i should say they assume that you're self-aware enough to answer the questions correctly yeah or that you're following the directions or that you're not actually describing the person you want to be, but the person you are. So it's making a lot of assumptions about your capacity to answer correctly. It's no, I, I take them and come up with different numbers all the time. It could be I had too much coffee, or it could be that I, you know, who knows what. The best way to know and learn the Enneagram is to study it, read the right books, go to a workshop, and do your work. I mean, it's not... You know, you got to put some energy into it, and I think it would be insulting anyhow if you could figure out what your personality was in ninety questions. That you know, I'd yeah. like to think I'm a little bit more complicated than that. You know, so I say okay, I want to. Can I add a warning to that as well? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, when people start getting excited, when they become number thumpers, as I believe <laughs> Ian has called them, in the yes, past, <laughs> yes, um, they tend to start trying to figure other people out. Mm-hmm. And they do that with all their external behaviors, which is one of the worst ways to figure out somebody's heart. Right. Because whatever's happening on the outside has so many different reasons behind it, which is the purpose of the Enneagram is to know what's under there. But when you start diagnosing other people, then you start treating them as if, as if you know their motives, as if you know their heart. And I've seen, especially with college students who get excited about this, they they end up unintentionally being really abusive to one another by telling each other what's going on on the inside. And if somebody is more passive, they'll just take it and start accepting, oh, well, that's what I'm doing. And I just feel like that is, uh, is a level of wrong behavior towards another individual that is uh, just so inappropriate. So we all have to keep it in check. So you, yeah. you just actually said a really important thing, which is that unlike the others, where, where I think it's a great spiritual formation tool versus these, these other things, other instruments, is that the, 
you are you and I are all nine numbers. I can act right. like an eight in traffic any day of the week in New York. I can I can you know behave in any given day. I'm acting. I have access to all those traits right. or behaviors of every single number. You're all nine of them. It's just that one is your default position. It's like you, if you're just kind of going on autopilot and you're neither stressed or particularly secure, you just click into yeah. a dominant type, right? So what determines your number is not traits, therefore, right? Because if you, it was traits, right. you have traits from every single number all the time. It's the underlying motivation yeah. particular to the trait that determines your number and no assessment actually can unearth the motivation and most people are out of touch actually yeah. with uh, with with what's below the waterline in their life they're out of touch with it i mean the yeah. the gift of the enneagram is is it raises to conscious awareness what yeah. that motivation unless you're doing is. your work it's hard to right yeah you're disconnected from i'm disconnected yeah. from it unless i'm doing my work totally so i have an assessment on my site if you go to it there it takes you exploreyourtype.com and the only reason, and I'm very transparent before the test and afterwards, I say, this test is not determinative. Let it be a, you know, an entry point into a conversation right. about who you are, but don't get wedded to the answer. Right. Read the book and come <clears throat> to a workshop. Aaron, don't yell at me for talking about Richard Rohr. Um, I, <laughs> one of the, I feel like that was completely unfair. <laughs> one of the things in um, his book, uh, A Christian Perspective, Enneagram, A, a Christian Perspective, that was helpful to me because when I initially took the an assessment, I pegged out 100% two and 100% seven, and thought, "Well, I'm, man, I am chronically unique. I am 100% both." Uh, and then I picked up the book and started reading through. And one of the things he says is, "Don't take a test." Well, it was too late for that. Um, read read all the types as I've described them. Whichever one offends you the most is the one is likely the one you are. It's a start. It's a starting point. And I read through all nine types and, you know, two like kind of cut deep when I got to the part about Jewish mother and I got to seven and it just didn't, didn't register at all. When I start a day of teaching, in part because I do triads, right? Eight, nine, one, right. two, three, four, five, six, seven, because it's easier to have people understand it. But it's great to start with eights because actually most tests will nail an eight. They're just obvious, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they just tend to be stark. So if you start the day and then you describe a nine in right. the same triad, which is a so completely different looking yeah. than, uh, than an eight, but still rooted in, in anger, just a different way of managing yeah. anger. Hmm. Uh, people usually stick with you for the rest of the day because they're like, oh man, these are interconnected, but observably yeah. different types. I can't yeah. wait to hear w yeah. when they get to mine. I also find that like ones, for example, when you're teaching the perfectionists, or I, I'm now preferring to call them the reformers because it, otherwise it's like the only negative sounding signifier on the Enneagram, hmm. the perfectionist. Um, they'll cry. They're the hmm. first ones to cry huh. because they feel so understood and, and consoled when they yeah. realize, okay, now people know about that, self neg that negative self-commentary that's right. running in my head all the time. So it's not just the queasiness you might feel. It's also the sense of, oh, yeah, I'm not alone. Right. I'm known. I'm known. And yeah. I'm not alone. There are yeah. a lot of people who, who share a lot of my experience hmm. in the world. So I agree with Richard. You might feel exposed, particularly threes. More than any other number, 
threes feel ashamed and exposed at a, at a workshop hmm. more than any other number. Ones often feel relieved. And and another feeling can be, uh, I, I love when people in groups read about their numbers for the first time because there's kind of that giggly embarrassment that goes along with it. Not, not negative embarrassment, but just a, I just got pantsed, but in a funny way. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't even know what that, I don't know what that is actually. Uh, so I retract that last <laughs> metaphor. We're not but deleting anyways, it. Uh, yeah, it, it is, it is a fun, you, all of those feelings can come up. And like Ian said before, I think it's a, it's a great thing to just get into it enough and study it enough with an open heart and without too much of a preconceived notion that you took it. Uh, 10 question uh, thing that came up on Facebook and now you know what you are, but to, to be a little more open to that and then to be gracious enough not to become a number thumper and uh, a hyper evangelist, not to get oversaved on the Enneagram. Hmm. So what, what would you say once people begin this journey, Ian, as we start to, to wind this down, what would you say their first steps should be to, to make this a balanced journey? <clears throat> Yeah. Well, I think you you really have to commit to uh doing you know, reading self-reflection, you know, getting to a workshop uh and using it as a tool uh to dig, you know, pretty deep into into your life to as I mentioned earlier to to bring to conscious awareness those influences those hidden forces that lie underneath the waterline of our lives got to get those into the light right into conscious awareness so that you um, can begin to um, live with a new level of self-awareness and self-knowledge which we all desperately need yeah. more of because remember this i mean this here's it's a uh, one of my mantras in life yes people i said mantra don't panic <laughs> It's just a word. It has no magical quality to it. Um, that whatever whatever's unconscious owns you. Hmm. Like when something remains, when when, a, when some kind of a powerful misbelief, you know, misbelief from childhood or some uh, old script is down there running right on a loop, and you're unaware of it, then but it's no doubt influencing the way that you act, think, and feel and process information. As long as that's down there doing it, it's autonomous. Yeah. Like it's running without your... So I've oftentimes said to people, one of my favorite writers is James Hollis, and he's a Jungian analyst, and he, he's, he, I love what he says. He, he, he says that, uh, you know, it, there, there are often moments in life when you feel like there's a shadow government <laughs> inside of your head making decisions on your behalf that are not always in your best interest, right? Oh. You, you're always like, why do I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again in relationships at work? And yeah. why am I, why do I, every time I pull in the driveway, why do I promise myself I won't be critical of my children or my wife, but the moment I walk in the door, the first thing I say is the cushions are out of place. Hmm. Or have you done your homework yet? And you know what I mean? It's like, you just, yeah. it's like, you just go into this story, right? Right. So I, in fact, love to think of, and I've been sort of playing with this a little bit, that each type, I don't like the word type, but 
there's something about it that that reeks of label, which I think is reductive. But I oftentimes think of them as stories that we inhabit based on how we perceive the world, right? So, for example, when I'm doing spiritual formation work with people, I always say four times a day, stop, notice, ask, and pivot. You know, snap. I hate acronyms, but I've been in AA long enough to know they can (laughs) save your life every now and then. Um, So just learning how to to pause regularly, notice what's happening in your life at that precise moment, ask at least three questions. One would be, uh, what am I believing right now? Or what story am I living in right now? And then the second one would be, uh, is it true? I mean, that's a very powerful question. It's basic, but it's true. So let's say right now I'm thinking to myself, I'm living inside the story of the Enneagram expert. I got to have all, you know, I've got this story about I got to be special and unique. I got to come up with just the right sentences. I got to blah, 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 right? Yeah. And But if I stop and ask those questions, I'd say, all right, so that's the story you're in right now. That that comes from childhood. It's been running forever. Is it true? Yeah. And then the last question is, what would your life be like if you just stopped living inside this story? And I would say, I'd be more genuine. I'd be more relaxed. I'd be less alienated from others. And then I can choose to pivot once I know that and change my direction. I talk a lot, don't I? Fours are notorious. No, fours are notorious, you know, for over-explaining. But luckily, their words are pretty. They're always so nice to hear. <laughs> so, Ian, your book. Where can people get it? How can they connect with you? How can they go take a few more steps on this journey in their own lives? Well, uh, of course, the name of the book is "Using the Pentagram." <laughs> for, with, with multicolored chalk on your driveway for sex like profit and for purposes of advancing a me- the message of the antichrist um, no it's called the road back to you an enneagram journey to self-awareness they can just get it on amazon they can walk down to barnes and noble if they're still open uh and and pick up a copy uh it comes actually with a with a with a sort of a study guide or workbook that i'm proud of because you know, it's not. I worked. I worked hard on it, and it's not one of those study guides like you used to get in the old days. Would say like, "What color was Joseph's coat?" And you'd be like, "That's the stupidest, most inane question I've ever read in my entire life." It really kind of probes into some deeper stuff, and there's other sort of bonus material in there that I couldn't put in the book and keep it to a reasonable page amount. Um, then go to my website, iancron.com, i-a-n-c-r-o-n.com. And uh, learn more there. And uh, <clears throat> but I do it, the wonderful thing about the book, at the risk of being overly self-promotional, is that it's a primer. Hmm. It's a beginner's guide. You, if you've done the Enneagram, you'll still learn stuff from it. But it's the only primer I know out there, and that was the purpose for writing it. I mean, I love yeah. Richard's book. Yeah. I love Riso and Hudson. They're great content, but they pretty, just pretty tend chewy. to be pretty dry and yeah. very long. Yeah. So if you've got a day job and don't want to dedicate your whole life to the Enneagram, I'd yeah. suggest you read, read, read our book. And one of the things also that, and this is how I found out about the book, is you guys have a podcast. Yeah. Um, and that's been really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And this may just, be, may just be me, but it helps me hear other people talk about their types. Much, and much, much better than having me. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Because I mean, like, if you're talking about being a two, right. another two will hear the quality of your voice. So they could see your body, they see your right. your posture, and they would just I mean, let's face it. I mean, at the risk of taking, you know, offending all of my very my conservative <laughs> Christians and brothers. You know, the word energy 
is true. I, if we yeah. wouldn't pick up on people's energy all the time. If, if we hadn't, as monkeys, right. we'd all be dead, right? Right. So, right. We wouldn't be able to figure out who friend or foe was. So, you know, you pick up on energy just by looking at people and how they, right. they act. It's just, you do it in a nanosecond. So it's more accurate in many ways to hear people yeah. tell their own story. It's been, it's been really <clears throat> helpful to me hearing people talk about me. Yeah. Right? The twos talk about me. But hearing eights talk about their eightness and hearing, and just how, I mean, Nadia Boltz Weber relates to the world. You right. know, just broke broke me down. By the by the and, way, fours and eights love each other. My, a lot of my closest friends, Jim Chafee is one of my closest friends here in town. He's my speaking agent. And he's an eight. And, and the reason fours and eights get along is they both feel very misunderstood. <laughs> so this learning things like that, like yeah. why is it that I'm attracted to someone who apparently is incredibly different than I am? I'm very sensitive and feeling-based. Eights are not known for sensitivity. Right. But they are they do know what it means to be understood, misunderstood, mm. because that tough exterior hides a very tender heart yeah. that very few people see. So I just think eights are funny and I there's a certain bond that happens with them. So yeah. you can edit all that stuff out when no. you're ready. So buy the book, listen to the podcast. No, that was the best part of the whole show, <laughs> Ian. Oh um, man, I got some eight stories, dude. I could take you down that road anytime you want. Um, but, but for, for I've sure, I've got a few too. <laughs> Everybody, go go buy the book, listen to the podcast, absorb that. I mean, I think at least all of us that are involved in the podcast can speak to um, the the value of the enneagram and 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 the work that that you're doing with that and making it easier for everybody to to digest right. or get started. And if that was too many links for all of you, just come to piratemonkpodcast.com and we'll link you to <clears> the book. We'll link you to Ian's site to take the inventory. We'll link you to his podcast, and we'll link you to uh, uh, Aaron. You I can't could his last you could name, say he that wrote a book on Enneagram. Too. If you go to piratemonkpodcast.com, we'll help you find the road back to Ian. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and being being the the very self interested person that I am, I'll buy multiple units of them. We also have a lot of workshops coming up. We have one. I, oh yeah. I think there's one. Uh, we're doing one in Nashville at Otter Creek Church. I believe that's either at the I'm trying to look at my calendar, but I can't I can't see it right at this very moment. But I think it's at the the very end of February or March. And then in uh there there it is. It's on uh March thirty first to April second or April thirty first to one. And then I got a bunch in New York City, in Austin, Texas. Uh so and these are really great because you'll get four, five, six hundred people at them and it's fun. Oh wow. Yeah. Really fun. Get tickets quick, though, in Nashville particularly. They've they've sell real quickly. Cool. So if you are in one of those areas, stop on in, meet Ian personally, and explore this. And uh, we will wrap up this longest wrap-up section ever (laughs) and be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name Would care to feel my hurt Who am I That the bright and morning star Would choose to light the way For my ever-wandering heart Not because of who I am But because of what you've done Not because of what I've done 
But because of who you are I am a flower quickly fading Here today and gone tomorrow A wave tossed in the ocean Vapor in the wind Still you hear me when I'm calling Lord, you catch me when I'm falling And you've told me who I am Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. So if your brain is swimming with numbers and and you're feeling apprehensive because you don't know your number and you don't know if you want to know your number, you're uh, among friends. So hang in there and uh, keep listening. And do, do take the opportunity to take an assessment and read a book and go to a workshop. It, it is valuable and will help you understand yourself, uh, your mate, your kids, uh, and your brother's. Uh, wherever you may be. Aaron, I've got one question I I wish I'd had a chance to ask our guests, but I'll ask you. Uh, It seems like things like the Enneagram and the other uh, assessments in this world, they work best when you see how your story, to use Ian's word, uh, um, informs how you relate to other people. A six, for instance, and how the six relates to a four, how the six relates to a two, how the six relates to an eight, that type of idea. How do you get past the, oh, thank God I figured out my number, I know who I am now. How do you get past that thought and get to the point of understanding others without labeling? And you, you said with people look at the outward behavior, and that's not a good indicator of who they are on the inside and not a good idea of who their number is. So how do you get to the point where I understand who I am, and I'm going to relate to these other people and how God created them. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that is critical. I'm, I'm really, I'm very against, uh, I'm always against absolute statements, but I am getting closer. Yeah, that was, that was funny. Uh, laugh track, please. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting close to stating that all problems in relationships come when I interpret your words or your behaviors by what it would mean if I used those words or acted the way you did. So the way I understand my wife when she does something is like, I can't, I can't believe she did this, and I get angry. What I'm really thinking is, if I had done that, I would have been being manipulative. But maybe she wasn't being manipulative. I would have been strategic, and maybe she's not being strategic. So it is critical for me to surrender that and learn that other people who aren't like me are not like me. They do not mean what I would mean. And so when I work with people, it starts with understanding yourself. Uh, People want to jump quickly into understanding their spouses or their children's or their bosses. But you got to start with yourself and then the people closest to you. And that was the probably the most heartbreaking point in my journey uh, when I started studying this was realizing how many years I had been hurting my wife because I just didn't understand what she was actually asking for. Uh, and so studying about your spouse is is a revelation. 
and it becomes a beautiful journey. And I know I have so much more patience. I'm, I'm not calling myself a patient person, honey, if you're listening to this, but I have so much more patience for for things that, that I used to have a very short fuse and low tolerance for because I, I get that it's it's not it's not what I thought it was. So did that answer your question? Very well. Okay. The the other the other thing I want to say to, you know, all of this uh, heavy like study it and all all those bigger words, um it's really just fun. When people start reading this, it, it's it's a fun journey. It's really enjoyable. It doesn't feel like work. Um so I I just want to throw that out there in case this sounds all daunting and complex and things like that. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I mean, I think I've, I mean, I know I've for sure been walking down that road uh, a shorter amount of time than you have, Aaron. And it, it has, it's been it, fun. You know, it's, it's for me, it's kind of liberating to be able to know, Oh yeah. You know, God, that's why I did that. You know, that's, that's where I'm coming from. It's not, I mean, it can be heavy, heavy work, um, but it, but it's fun. You know, it's kind of cool. Well, if you're ready for some cool, fun work, uh, come to PirateMonkPodcast.com and let us link you up to uh, all things uh, Enneagram and uh, look forward to uh, hearing that. And if you would, we'd love to have you uh, correspond with us. You can leave us a voicemail from the website. You can leave us a comment. Come on our Facebook page and uh, leave us a comment. Let's get a discussion going about numbers or or types or stories or how we relate to others and we'd love to have you involved thanks for joining us today on the pirate monk podcast it has been a pleasure uh we will try to get nate back here for the next one but as of now i'm aaron i'm newton i'm mark and we are your acquaintances oh no (laughs) we are your friends bye Uh-huh. Oh, Covey and Junior, baby. Preaching recovery. Did it, did it, did it.